Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the government is in the middle of an all-out effort to find the people who stormed the Capitol and bring them to justice, but no such effort has been made against the BLM and Antifa rioters who've killed dozens and caused billions of dollars of damage. And it is this hypocrisy, this, this inconsistency and lack of equal justice that partly leads to the rioting in the first place. So it's worth talking about. Also, five headlines, including the story of a woman who identifies as a fairy and her two lovers, a troll and a leprechaun. Classic love story. And in our daily cancellation, we'll talk about President Trump's second impeachment and why impeaching the president this time is an even worse idea than it was the first time. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. I'll take a second to tell you about LifeLock. There's, there's never been a time where it's more important to protect your online data. Um, it's a new year, and that usually means one thing, New Year's resolutions that most of us probably have a hard time keeping. Uh, well, here's one resolution that's easy to keep, and you'll be glad that you did. Uh, it's really easy for you because you only got to do one thing, really. Get LifeLock. Uh, LifeLock identity theft protection. One out of every five Americans have, have been affected by identity theft. It's very common. You think it's not going to happen to you but it very well could. So this near this new year, you could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit or monitoring your bank statements. That's a great thing to do, but uh, there's, there's a lot more that needs to be done that you're not able to do. That's why you need LifeLock, a leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats uh, and a lot, of, a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily uh, be able to detect on your own, like if your social security number is, being for, is for sale on the dark web, that kind of thing. If they detect your information being used in their networks, They'll send you an alert, and you have access to a U.S.-based identity restoration specialist uh, uh, to your case if you should become a victim. So you've got you've got uh, defense on one end, but then you've also got it on the other end too. If you do become a victim, you have their identity restoration specialist on call whenever you need them. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock is the one New Year's resolution that can help resolve identity theft. Join now and save 25% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com slash Walsh. That's lifelock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. So yesterday, Michael Sherwin, who's the acting U.S. attorney for D.C., announced that he was building a case against a number of the rioters on Capitol Hill last week. One thing we've seen from the very beginning is that the government at every level is, is taking the incident extremely seriously and arresting and prosecuting all the culprits it can find, a number of them, including the dude who walked out uh, holding the, the speaker's lectern. He's already been arrested and frog-marched in front of cameras. Another guy who breached the Capitol with a handful of zip ties and his mom at his side has also been arrested. Several others as well, with more coming. So here's Sherwin explaining. Listen. But what the, the public isn't familiar with is that the FBI, working with the U.S. attorney's offices across the country, and the crux of those being in D.C., we're looking at significant felony cases tied to sedition and conspiracy. Just yesterday, our office organized a strike force of very senior national security prosecutors and public corruption prosecutors. Their only marching orders from me are to build seditious and conspiracy charges related to the most heinous acts that occurred in the Capitol. And these are significant charges that have felonies with uh, prison terms of up to 20 years. In addition to that, we're looking and taking a priority with cases in which weapons were involved and cases in which destructive devices were involved. As people know through news reports, there were pipe bombs found outside the Capitol. The ATF is working on that. Metro Police is working on that. FBI is working on that to find that individual or individuals who planted those devices. Yeah, I think he means build sedition charges, not build seditious charges. That's a very different 
kind of concept. But this is all fine with me. You know, you can argue about whether sedition is an overreach. But frankly, as far as I'm concerned, if you're stupid enough to go storming into the Capitol building, smiling for the cameras all the while, then you deserve the legal consequences. I will be crying no tears for any of the idiots who made that choice. Quite the opposite. I believe in law and order. It isn't a slogan for me. I want people who behave this way to face severe repercussions. I want that because I want my kids to live in a functioning and civilized human society. That's something I actually want. I feel like I'm in a minority now, but I actually want that. Uh, And they cannot have such a society if chaos and anarchy are not contained and punished. The problem here, at least my problem, is that as we have covered on this show extensively, this, this same hammer should have been brought down on the BLM rioters and insurrectionists who reign terror in our cities for months on end. The, you know, the, the powers that be ought to have made them pay a steep price also. We ought to have been hearing about 25-year prison sentences for them, but we didn't. Instead, we heard about prosecutors dropping charges. We heard about Democrat politicians fundraising to pay for their bail. Kamala Harris being one of them. An entirely different standard of justice is being applied. And the reason for that is obvious. For one, the rioters over the summer had the more popular, the more orthodox political views, at least in our society these days. Also, they mostly victimized their own neighbors and their own communities. These were atrocities committed against people that our elites don't know in communities they don't care about and wouldn't even want to drive through in the middle of the day. So that's the difference. But the point here is is not merely to point out inconsistency and hypocrisy. It's worth doing that, you know, because hypocrisy shouldn't be allowed to hide in the dark. Shedding light on it just for the sake of shedding light on it is a worthwhile thing to do. Yet it only goes so far. After a while, you've made your point about the hypocrisy. You've you've said this is hypocritical. What else is there to say? Um, What else is there to do but, but to keep saying what you've already said? Well, in this case, there's a good reason to dwell on the point, I think. The reason is that the hypocrisy of the elites, of our lawmakers, politicians in D.C., their self-interest, their disregard for everything that doesn't benefit them politically, the two-tier justice system, the double standard, all of this is part of what leads to things like rioting, or as it's called when BLM does it, unrest. Now, I'm not referring just to the events in D.C. last week. I'm referring to the general breakdown of order, the lawlessness and chaos across the board. This is an inevitability, an entirely predictable and unavoidable outcome when people lose their faith in the system and no longer have confidence that justice is being done, and they feel as though they can't believe anything they're told. This is not an excuse for rioting or violence. We have to be able to talk about these things and make observations about them diagnose their causes without being bullied into silence because we're scared that we'll be accused of excusing it. Those who wish to miss the point will, but it's just like if you were to park your car in the city and leave your wallet sitting in full view on the middle console. The person who breaks the window and takes the wallet isn't excused for doing it, but it would be perfectly reasonable for me to point out that when you make the choice that you made, you almost guarantee that this negative thing will happen as a result. So, don't make that choice. So you look where we are now. The country feels as though it's teetering on the brink of full-scale collapse. And there, there, is, there is no one among our leaders, and very few in media, very few with a public plat- platform of any size, who can speak to the problem, who can warn effectively against it. 
and call for calm because there's almost nobody with any credibility at this point. There's almost nobody who is trusted by anyone, let alone a majority. And when they try to dispel the conspiracy theories that are driving some of this stuff, there aren't many people who can dispel them credibly because they aren't trusted, because they're proven liars and hacks. And the response is, oh, you're telling me that Q isn't real? Well, you also told me Trump was a secret Russian agent for four years, et cetera, and so forth. That's the way it goes now. A country without trust, without leadership, that's what we're living in. And we have not yet seen the worst of what will happen as a result of that. Let's get to our five headlines. Bad news for CNN, by the way. Good news for everybody else, but uh, CNN's Oliver Darcy uh, announced yesterday that the CNN airport network is going to end operations as of March 31st. And they're saying that like nobody's flying anymore, so there's no reason to have the the airport the airports going the airport uh, network going. But I, I just this is going to how would how does this not spell the end of CNN? Because that was 95 percent of their audience when you're stuck in an airport terminal. And as someone who does a lot of flying, this is great news for me. Because the problem is when you're, when you're sitting in an airport terminal, and I don't know what it is exactly, but if there's something on the TV, you, you, like, you have to watch it. There, there's something psychologically that just propels you. Even if you can't hear the sound, you have to just keep your eyes glued on Brian Stelter's face. But our suffering as a nation is coming to an end. Uh, CNN will be gone from the airports. March 31st. That's when, that's when our national nightmare ends. So that's good news. Let's get to the real headlines, though. Number one, from the Daily Wire, it says, government-subsidized broadcaster PBS released a statement Tuesday in reaction to an explosive video from uh, James O'Keefe's Project Veritas that featured an employee advocating for Trump supporters to be sent to re-education camps and also advocated for the forcible removal of their children by the government. Statement announced that this employee no longer works for PBS as a mid-level staff attorney. He did not speak on behalf of our organization, nor did he make any editorial decisions. Um, so this now, this now former employee is PBS principal counsel Michael Beller. And uh, here's we'll, we'll play some of the audio that Project Veritas got of him um, just revealing what he really thinks and how he really feels. This, again, is someone who worked for PBS, government subsidized. Uh, let's listen to some of this. Anyone buying names to go through all the Republican voters and Homeland Security will take their children and we'll put them into the education camps. And these times which are unique. Uh, it's actually the first time I've watched that. So he said, it's a little bit hard to hear, but he said, uh, we, we need to put Trump supporters' children in re-education camps. Uh, he compared Trump to Hitler. Uh, and, and then l- later on, he talks about how you know, so many people in the country are stupid and he likes being in D.C. because he gets to be around smart people. So I uh, just what, what, here's the thing with, with stuff like that. I, I, I don't know. Whenever one of these videos comes out um, of secret tape of somebody in media talking about how they really feel and oftentimes the reaction from conservatives, there's, there's like a, a big reaction from conservatives and we make a big deal of it. But 
I see these kind. I, I gotta be honest. I, I listen to these tapes and I just sort of yawn. I don't see. Well, yeah. Of course, I know they feel that way. There's nothing shocking about that to me at all. I'm fully aware that nearly everyone who works in mass media, that is exactly how they feel. They think that we're all a bunch of stupid bumpkins. Uh, They think Trump is Hitler. I mean, they say that on TV, so there's there's nothing shocking about that. Um, They think we're not fit to raise our own kids. Our kids should be sent to re-education camps. That's what public school system is, by the way. So... If you're, if you're traumatized or scandalized by the idea of kids being sent to re-education camps and you send your kid to public school, well, you're doing it right now as we speak. Um, so I, I guess I, I just don't often see the point. Yeah, I, I get it. I know. That's how they feel. All right. I mean, I don't like it. I can't say I'm okay with it, but I am aware that that's the situation. And that's why I don't turn to these people for information or news personally. All right, let's go to number two. Ilhan Omar um, is speaking out about the trauma that she has suffered and about the fact that she is marginalized, which is one of her favorite topics. Well, her favorite topic is herself in general, but uh, especially her, her marginalization that she suffers in society. Let's listen to that. As you know, the last two years, the president has put a target behind my, um, on my back, and it has been quite fret- frightening to be a lawmaker in the United States with a president that has uh, incited uh, violence against myself and my family and those who uh, carry the marginalized identities that I do. Those who carry the marginalized identities that I do. You carry an identity around. Something you carry around like a, like a, you know, like a, a suitcase. Uh, marginalized. You're not only in Congress, but you are far and away one of the most visible and influential members of Congress, for better or worse, and I would say for worse. For, for worse for all the rest of us and for America, but not for you. So no, you, you just, you gotta, I know it's hard, right? I know it's hard to do if you're Ilhan Omar and identity politics, self-victimization. This is in your blood. This is, this is, this is what you live for, right? This is your, your whole life. Um, so it's hard to, to put it to the side, but you really need to. Because now you're in government. You have control and power over other people. Just a general rule. If you're elected to Congress, it means you're not marginalized. Whatever marginal, whatever it means to be marginalized, I'm pretty sure that being elected to public office is the opposite of being marginalized. Meanwhile, Donald Trump uh, spoke yesterday about a few things. Um, the 25th Amendment threats being one of the one of the things, and he he, he made a point about the 25th Amendment that I thought was pretty good. So let's listen to that. Before we begin, I'd like to say that free speech is under assault like never before. The 25th Amendment is of zero risk to me, but will come back to haunt Joe Biden and the Biden administration. As the expression goes, be careful what you wish for. The impeachment hoax is a continuation of the greatest and most vicious witch hunt in the history of our country and is causing tremendous anger and division and pain far greater than most people will ever understand which is very dangerous for the USA, especially at this very tender time. Yeah, I think the point he made there is exactly correct. The 25th Amendment is supposed to remove 
presidents who are incapacitated, presidents who are not able to perform the duties of, of the presidency. Whatever you think of Trump, you, you can think that Trump is the most evil guy in the world. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that he's incapacitated or can, cannot perform the duties of, of the president. That's not what the, the 25th Amendment is not supposed to be for that, for, for just removing someone because uh, you think he's just a really bad guy. Um, but if you want to talk about a president who can't perform his duties, who's incapacitated, you know, we, we could very well see that happen with Joe Biden. That is a, that's a, a prediction that we may see play out. Now, as far as the 25th Amendment goes, uh, Mike Pence, Vice President Pence, sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi because it was being demanded that he you know, initiate this process, invoke the 25th Amendment to get rid of uh, Trump. And he responded, sent a letter. Uh, I thought it was a you know, short letter, but it was good and to the point. And he said, I'm not going to do that. That would be unconstitutional. I'm not going to do it. So I, I have to tell you, you look at the situation that Mike Pence has been put in over the last, just the last week alone. Now, I've been really impressed with him. I've been impressed with him through the last four years, um, especially the last couple of months. I, you know, I thought he was great in the debates. But then you, you look at the, just the last week where he has been put twice now in a week in an unthinkably difficult position where doing the right thing meant infuriating First one side of the aisle and then the other. For you know, last week, uh, it was pissing off the the, the right wing and, and many conservatives who now call him a traitor wrongly, by the way. Uh, and now it's the left wing. And in both cases, I have been very impressed with how he handled it. Um, I think he's shown himself to be a man of integrity. He's you know he's not a showman. He's not into the theatrics. He goes about his business in a really sort of boring way, which I'm perfectly fine with. I, I, I kind of like boring from politicians. I'm, I'm fine with that. But he does the right thing. He did the right thing both, both times here. Uh, so I think he deserves, Mike Pence deserves credit for that, although he's not going to get it from, from almost anyone on, on either side. All right, this is from Reuters. It says, the FBI has warned of armed protests being planned for Washington and all 50 U.S. states, uh, U.S. state capitals in the run-up to President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th. It's according to a federal law enforcement source. Threatened with more violence from the outgoing uh, President Donald Trump supporters, blah, blah, blah. That's Reuters, okay. Um, the point is that they're, what we're being told now is that uh, Trump's supporters are organizing these armed protests. Some of the reports are we're going to have them in all 50 states. That, that's not going to happen. Um, and then others are saying, well, it's just going to be another big thing in D.C. I don't know how much of this is real. You know, if there's really going to be armed protests all over the place. Um, but, you know, I haven't heard the people that I know and talk to. I haven't heard anyone saying that they plan on attending something like that. But I can tell you right now, for the record, uh, if you're on the right and you go to something like that, especially in D.C. on Inauguration Day, you are waltzing right into a trap. So that, that, that would be an, an enormously stupid thing to do, to attend something like that, especially on the day of the inauguration. And aside from protests, I just want to say, even if there are no big protests or anything, um, what I, what I would really hope, my, my hope is, I hope to God 
that there are no scenes on Inauguration Day when Biden is being inaugurated. I hope there are no scenes of any conservatives or anybody on the right crying and screaming in the streets because they're so distraught by what's happening. Because if you recall, that's exactly what the left did when Trump was inaugurated. There are some very famous scenes. We know the one famous scene of the woman on, on the ground, her falling to her knees, hands in the air, screaming no to the sky. That is something that will live in infamy, that image. Uh, the, 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 the left has been branded by that image, and, and for good reason, because they've lived up to that. It encapsulates how they've behaved over the last four years. Um, now, up until recently, I would have thought it's unthinkable that the right would, would do that. I, I wasn't worried about it at all. Now I'm a little bit worried about it. So let, let's not do that. Let's maintain, let's be calm, let's be dignified. Um, let, let, let's, be, let's maintain self-respect. And, you know, keep our cool so we don't embarrass ourselves. That would be my, my urging to everybody. All right, this is from the New York Post. It says, the Department of Education, the Department of Education ended the suspense around, uh, this is in New York, around, around the city's accelerated gifted and talented program Tuesday night, announcing that the single test entry system will end after this year. Parents have been clamoring for answers on the coveted program that admits uh, kids based on standardized exam scores beginning at age four. Backers say they give academically advanced kids, so these are the kids that are tagged as gifted and talented. That's the name of the program. Uh, backers say the, 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 the tests give academically advanced kids the opportunity to learn at an appropriate pace and serve as an educational springboard. Detractors counter that the admissions model favors families of means who are able to uh, prepare for the test, that the exam serves as a poor marker of talent in young children. And then it, it goes on to say that there, you know, it gets into the racial element and it's claimed that this gifted and talented program was somehow racist. Putting that to the side, putting the, the racial elements to the side. And this is something I can remember growing up in school. We had, we had something similar. We had a gifted and talented program where you, you got into it by testing. You had to take standardized tests. And if you got the right answers on the test and, you know, you, they, they'd test you. I don't know if it was every year. I can't remember. But periodically you'd be tested again. And if you got the right answers to the test and you did well on the test, then you're gifted and talented. You're a gifted and talented kid. And then these, but these other kids are not. They're not gifted and talented. Maybe it might surprise you to learn. I, I, I'm, I am in favor of getting rid of those kinds of systems also. Now, I know we don't want to. This, you could go too far with this. You, you know, some school districts, like in San Diego, they're getting rid of grading completely because they don't want to hurt the kids' feelings. That obviously is absurd. But I, I do think it's a problem when you've got all these kids in school to take some kids, set them aside, and say, these are the gifted and talented ones. If you don't do well on this test, you're not gifted and talented. My problem with it is that a test, and this is one of the problems with the the education system as it functions right now generally. But a standardized test is simply not a good measure of whether or not a child is gifted and talented. Your kid could do really well on tests and have no talent and really not be all that gifted. Their ability to perform well on tests, that, that, is, that speaks to their ability to memorize things and regurgitate them. Which, okay, that, so let me, let me back up. That is one, that is a talent. So they have one talent. Fine. Uh, it's certainly not the most important talent to foster in a child. Doesn't make them smarter. 
And so the more we standardize education and everything relies on tests, then we, we reward students who do well in this one facet of learning, which isn't even really learning because just because you can remember something and regurgitate it doesn't mean you understand it. Um, so I, I, I think that's a good, a good idea to get rid of things like that, to get rid of systems like that. And if you want to identify the kids who are really gifted and talented and put them on a different track so they're not, you know, so, so, so they can learn at a, at a speed and a level that's appropriate for them, uh, I don't think testing is the way to do it, at least not these kinds of standardized tests. All right, number five, the hosts of the show this morning on BBC interviewed a woman. Uh, this is a couple in, uh, I, I think they're in, I want to say they're in Seattle or Portland, I believe. I'm probably just stereotyping, but I'm, I, I would guess accurately. So a woman who identifies as a fairy and who's in a sexual relationship with a man who identifies as a troll and also another man. So it's a thruple. And there's another man who identifies as a leprechaun. And they're all together, one happy family. And uh, here's some of that interview that we all need to watch. Here it is. Princess, a fairy lolly, Gunther the Troll and I on the Leprechaun join us now from their home in Seattle. And good morning. It is so lovely to have you here on the show. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so let's start with you, first of all, uh, Princess Lolly, if you don't mind. Now, you identify as a full-time fairy, so just explain what life is like. So... Yes, as a full-time fairy, that it is basically my duty all the time to uh, traipse about in the land of real, as we refer to it, and spread what fairy magic I can hither and yon. Primarily, that takes place at uh, our fairy festival that we produce, which is Fairy Blossom, and other Renaissance fairs festivals. And then also, because of COVID this year, we have a really uh, launched forth via the YouTube portals. <laughs> and, uh, and when did you discover that you actually were a fairy? Many years ago. We don't like to count too much in, you know, how counting goes in time and fairies, but... Can't well, do it anyway. Uh, we, we shall say it has been some time since when I was a youngling. Okay, youngling. so let's introduce us uh, to you all. Okay, You've got um, Gunther. I think we, we all get the idea. You, get, you got the gist of it? There it is. Uh, I have to say that, I, I mean, I can relate to the fairy in, in some ways. Uh, she says it's her mission to traipse about in the land of real and spread fairy magic. In many ways, you know, I, I think of myself in a similar way, spreading fairy magic. I, that's what I do with this show, I hope. That's my goal. I do it on a part-time basis, though. This woman identifies as a full-time fairy, so that's, that's, uh, that's an important distinction. And it sets her apart from one of her boyfriends there who uh, we didn't hear from in the clip, but he identifies as, le- as a leprechaun only part-time. So we've got a troll full-time, leprechaun part-time. And you know what? Love is love, you bigots. That's it. And, and besides, there, there's, there's nothing ob- objectively more absurd about this than about the left's gender theories. They're at least as ridiculous. And besides, I think that they were mainly just trying to promote the Renaissance Festival on second thought, watching that again, which for me raises questions about Renaissance festivals. I've never, I've never been to one, but I thought the idea at a Renaissance Festival was supposed to be a, a celebration of the Renaissance period in history. Isn't that what it was supposed to be? And they didn't like actually have fairies and trolls in the Renaissance period. You're thinking of Middle Earth, which is a, uh, 
Common mistake, but it's very different. But the point, again, is that even with something like this, um, if they are being serious about it, there is zero basis to deny their self-identity as mythical creatures with the way we think of identity these days. Anyway, you know, one of the worst sounds that we all experience is unfortunately the first sound we hear in the morning is our alarm going off. It means we have to get up and face another day in this dreary world. Uh, it's especially hard to hear if you've been, if you have Helix Sleep. If you have a Helix Sleep mattress, that alarm, because you're, you're sleeping so deep and it just yanks you out of that sleep. Uh, that's why you need to get a Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, you sleep on your side or your back, uh, if you get really hot while you're sleeping, whatever it is, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique taste. Uh, you don't need to take their word for it either. Why do that? Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com Walsh. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. I've done it myself. Um, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your, of your life. I was skeptical at first taking the quiz because there's not that many questions. And I thought, are they, is this really going to be enough for them to send me a mattress that's perfect for me? And then they sent the mattress, and the answer is yes. It's a perfect mattress. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off and free pillows with all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com Walsh. That's helixsleep.com Walsh for up to $200 off your mattress order. And tomorrow night, Daily Wire makes its entrance into entertainment content. Uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, we will air a virtual premiere of our first feature film, Run, Hide, Fight, in a special episode of Backstage. You don't want to miss this. The premiere, the premiere will stream live over at uh, Daily Wire. Dot com at our website, also on the streaming apps and on our YouTube channel, all of that. After tomorrow's event, the movie will be available ex- exclusively to Daily Wire members. Uh, so please be aware, Run, Hide, Fight is not a political film. It is intense, though, and it's for mature audiences only. The movie follows a high school siege by a quartet of school shooters when one young girl, 17-year-old Zoe Hall, uses her wits and survival skills to fight back. This is not your typical conservative documentary about George Washington's mother's cousin, Nothing against those, by the way. I'm very interested in George Washington's mother's cousin. But uh, this is not that. This is something very different. We're excited to bring it to you. We're excited to bring you great stories that Hollywood refuses to acknowledge and show. And we hope you'll join us for this special event tomorrow night. That's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at DailyWire.com, Apple TV, Roku, or the Daily Wire YouTube channel. Now, let's get to our daily cancellation. So today for our daily cancellation, we're going to cancel everybody involved in the impeachment efforts efforts currently underway in the House. Uh, The articles of impeachment released last night charged Donald Trump with incitement of insurrection and other crimes as well. Now, usually the daily cancellation is is reserved for things that aren't very serious. This is a time for content that's maybe a bit more farcical than the rest of the show. And, And that's, in fact, actually why it's a good place to discuss the Democrats' second impeachment of Trump, which is indeed a farce, unserious, a political stunt. So here are the problems with impeaching Trump as far as I can see. At least two of the problems. First of all, no matter what you think of the fact that Trump was claiming voter fraud and the fact that he called for a rally in D.C. and the fact that he you know, sent the crowd over to the Capitol building, you can't get around uh, the fact that, that Trump did specifically call for a peaceful protest in his remarks to the crowd. You can check the, the transcript. I have. And here's what the transcript says. Here's what he said. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated. 
I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. That's what he said. Now, you might argue that he didn't really mean it. You might argue that he didn't really care what would happen. You can argue all that. You might be wrong. You might be right. But the fact still remains that he, he did explicitly and verbally call for a peaceful protest. We have seen lawmakers encourage violence and riots explicitly. We know what that sounds like. The Democratic state representative in Michigan a few weeks ago, we played that clip, uh, calling on, quote, unquote, soldiers to find Trump supporters and, quote, make them pay. Okay, that if Trump had said to the crowd, find these lawmakers and make them pay. Okay, now you got a case that is obviously incitement. Ayanna Presley, during the BLM riots, calling for more, quote, unrest in the streets. Once again, if Trump had said, go to the Capitol building and there needs to be unrest. If he had said, there has to be unrest at the Capitol building in order to uh, prevent this from happening. Once again, you have a case. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez blasting the people who called for an end to the unrest, claiming that to call for an end to the unrest is to call for injustice to continue. That's what she said. Maxine Waters telling her supporters to track down Trump administration officials in public and to create a crowd and let them know they aren't welcome anywhere. Those are direct quotes. All of these and much more are examples of explicit incitement, direct incitement. And as it happens, all of the people guilty of it now support impeaching Trump for allegedly doing what they unquestionably have done themselves. Um, If you want to argue that it's incitement simply to get a potentially unruly crowd riled up with dubious claims and to send them out to sort of broadly fight for this or that, then again, the Democrats behind this impeachment would be guilty of the same. Even the ones who didn't explicitly endorse rioting we're still spreading the false claims that fueled the riots and encouraging the rioters to continue the fight for social justice. So before the Democrats can even begin to make a case for impeachment, all of those guilty of doing these things would need to admit their guilt and resign. That's what they would have to do. Do that first. Here's the deal that I would make if I had any power at all, which I don't. Uh, Do that first. If you're a Democrat and you were guilty of incitement yourself, by your own standard, guilty of it, by the standard you're now applying to Trump, if you did it yourself, resign, and then I'm willing to listen to the impeachment case from the three or four Democrats who remain in office. That should be the deal. If If the Republicans had any sense, any backbone, any spine, that's what they would be saying. They should be saying, absolutely, let's, let's, let's get rid of everybody who's been guilty of inciting riots during this time of chaos and anarchy because uh, it's, 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 it's enough. We have to put an end to it. Um, so let's get rid of all of them and let's start with you guys. That's what they should be saying. Second point, all that aside, um, or not aside, but at least uh, you know, I, I make this point as an important addition to the previous. Donald Trump is out of office in a week. Seven days. That's it. He'll be gone regardless. And I would bet everything I own that Trump is not going to run again in 2024 at the age of 78 after all of this. I mean, he may say he will. He may make, he may make noises to that effect over the next four years, but I don't think he's really going to do it. So this is not even an effort to remove him from office because he's going to be gone before the Senate trial can begin. And I don't buy that this is about stopping him from running again. In fact, 
I think the Democrats would love for Trump to run again. They're terrified of the prospect of having to exist now on their own without being able to define themselves by their opposition to Trump. They can't even remember what it was like to have a political ideology that wasn't defined by Trump. So this isn't about removing him um, from office, because again, he'll already be gone. And it isn't about stopping him from running again. This is rather symbolic. It is theater. It is impeachment as theater. And it's not the first time the Democrats have done it. The people who have pretended to be so concerned about norms and about protecting the democratic system and so on have now turned impeachment, which is an essential tool, into a meaningless, empty gesture. Two presidents in nearly 250 years had been impeached before Trump. The Democrats have now impeached Trump twice in almost a year. Meaning they've done it as many times in a year as every Congress in history had done it before this. They have doubled the number of impeachment in, in a year. They've doubled it. So that means it's been cheapened. The, 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 the tool of impeachment has been cheapened to the point of uselessness. What this means now is that um, impeachment will be used commonly. If the opposing party controls the House, uh, it'll be used just to make a political point because that's what it's become now. What was once rare, what was once nearly unthinkable, will now be utterly commonplace, a matter of course. You know, we had, we have now four impeachments in 20, 250 years. It was two, now we have four. The next 20 years, we'll probably see that many. We'll probably double it in another 20 years, if not more, because of what they've done with this tool of impeachment. And again, an essential tool. Now it means nothing because of what the Democrats have done. Because they are using it as just symbolism. And that's why um, I think we should all be opposed to impeachment, no matter how you feel about Trump. That's why we should all be opposed to it. And that's why the Democrats are canceled. Certainly not, not for the first time and certainly not for the last time, I suspect. But we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including the Ben Shapiro Show, the Michael Knowles Show, and the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And production assistant, McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Democrats push forward with impeachment in the House as Republicans argue over how to respond. We'll go through all of the arguments pro and con. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Tune in. Tune in. 